comes to us from Exodus 33, verse 14 through 16. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, we read about the presence of God. But what does this actually refer to? Because it's described in several different ways. Well, in one sense, the Bible teaches us that God is present everywhere. He's omnipresent. Just think of Psalm 139, verse 7 through 9. Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. But more importantly, the Bible speaks about a special kind of presence that God has among his children. It's the blessing of his favor and grace. It's an intimate fellowship with him. It's help from his guiding hand. This is described throughout the Bible. Before the fall into sin, Adam enjoyed God's presence in the Garden of Eden as they walked during the cool of the evening. Much later, King David, after he had sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba, composed Psalm 51, in which he cried out to God, Cast me not from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. But without question, the greatest presence of God in redemptive history is the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Isaiah 7, verse 14. A prophecy about Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. This prophecy looked forward to the birth of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from sin, to reconcile us to God, to give us the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. With that in mind, let me ask all of you, how important is God's presence to you? in everything you do and everywhere you go. In the 1940s, Corrie ten Boom and her family helped to save the lives of approximately 800 Jews in Holland during the Holocaust. Eventually, their activities were discovered and Corrie, along with her family, was imprisoned by the Nazis and sent to a concentration camp. By the grace of God, Corrie did survive, but she lost everything including her sister and her father. After the war and for the rest of her life, Corey traveled around the world retelling her story, a story about Christian faith, hope, and love during one of the most darkest times in modern history. She was a woman captivated by Christ and his Emmanuel presence. She was motivated by grace and gifted with words. She once remarked, you can never know that Christ is all that you need until Christ is all you have. Writing along these lines, C.S. Lewis states in his book, The Problem of Pain, 
He says, we have all we want is a terrible saying when the all does not include God. Sometimes we treat God as an interruption. As St. Augustine says, God wants to give us something, but he can't because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. Or as a friend of mine said, we often regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he will never have to use it. No, our God, who has made us, knows what we are and that our happiness lies in him and in his presence. Here at Pathway Christian Church, we are on the threshold of a new beginning as a new church. There are decisions to be made. There will be much activity happening as we set up the various teams and programs that will help the church function. We have our own personal lives, our families' lives, and our jobs. But in all of this, do we always have the right perspective? How important is the blessing of God's presence in our lives and in all our planning? Are our hands too full with things so that God's presence seems like an interruption to us? Is the presence of Christ and his spirit all that you need? Or are there other things that seem more important and more beautiful to you? Every day, but especially as we embark on this new church community, is a good moment to pause and to reflect, to refocus on what is foundational, what should be most important in our lives, what should fill us with great thankfulness and happiness, God's presence. After all, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need God's presence and his power in order to fulfill what he has called us to do. Without it, everything else is pointless. Like Moses said, Lord, if your presence doesn't lead us here, call this whole trip to the promised land off. Or if we apply it to our new church community, Lord, if your presence doesn't lead us here, we might as well shut the doors right here and now. Well, the trip that we are on isn't quite like the trip that Moses was referring to. At the same time, it's also worth noting that Israel's deliverance from Egypt pointed forward to or foreshadowed the greater deliverance from sin and death that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And until he returns, we continue our trek through this life towards our eternal destination. As such, Exodus 33 is instructive for how we must live our lives, Coram Deo, before the face of God in everything we do. Now, as far as the Old Testament is concerned, I don't think that it would be an overstatement to say that what we read in Exodus 33 follows closely on the heels of the highest highs of redemption and one of the lowest lows of sin before the coming of Christ. As the book of Moses opens, we find the people of Israel living in the land of Egypt. For nearly 400 years, they have been oppressed, living in captivity as slaves. They have been forced into hard physical labor. They were mistreated and abused. Do you remember how Pharaoh commanded that all the Israelite baby boys were to be killed by throwing them into the Nile River? I don't think we fully understand what a hard life they had. 
But as the name of the book suggests, the book of Exodus is a story about deliverance. Because in the middle of, this, of these terrible conditions, God had taken notice. In his grace and his steadfast love, he remembered the promises he had made to Israel's patriarchs. What did the Lord say to, in Exodus 3, verse 7 and 8, when he commissioned Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt? He said, I have surely seen your affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And now listen to this. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Redemption by God's own hand through God's own presence among his people. Throughout the course of the next several chapters, God stretched out his hand over the Egyptians and sent plague after plague, so finally the people of Israel were able to go free. In his book, Knowing God, the late theologian J.I. Packer remarks, in the New Testament, grace means God's love and action towards people, toward people who merited the exact opposite to love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. The events leading up to the Exodus and the Exodus itself demonstrate that God's grace was alive and well in the Old Testament as well. He delivered a people not able, often even not willing, to lift a finger to free themselves from slavery. Israel knew this as they walked towards freedom through the middle of the Red Sea because God was present among them when he parted the waters. Just think of Exodus 13, verse 21, description of God's presence. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. What a beautiful picture of God's presence as he lives among his people. Everything seemed to be going so well, even as the Lord rescued Israel and brought them to the base of Mount Sinai. In fact, God wasn't even finished with Israel. Their deliverance from Egypt had only been the start of something special. In Exodus 22, this awesome God entered into a covenant, a very special relationship with the people of Israel. Imagine that, the God of the universe promising Israel, I'm going to take care of you. You're my treasured possession because I love you. I'm going to dwell among you and place my name on you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you, you your own land in which, with which to live with me. So how did the people of Israel respond to God's grace and deliverance from the Egypt and to the promise of a relationship in the holy presence among his holy presence among them? In faith and with thankful hearts, they promised to live in holiness and obedience. Exodus 24 verse 2. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood 
and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. So, so far so good with the Exodus plot line. What else could possibly go wrong? Well, shortly after the people promised to be faithful, Moses ascended Mount Sinai once more into the cloud of fire, and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you remember what the Israelites did while Moses was gone so long? The Israelites got tired of waiting for Moses. So they convinced Aaron to build a golden calf, an idol for them to worship. Think of it. What other people in the world could say that their God actually spoke to them? They heard his voice. They saw fire and smoke and thunder. And they feared. What tremendous grace for the living God revealed himself as truly living. And then, in barely a span of a month, Israel breached the covenant relationship God had graciously entered into them by breaking the second commandment. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Don't you find this both remarkable and tragic? That after experiencing so many wonderful things through God's presence and salvation, how quickly they forgot God's love and plunged into sin? Well, this is a serious warning for us too. Because what does the Bible say about God? It says he's a holy God and he will not tolerate sin in his presence. Because of their sin, the Israelites quickly learn about Hebrews 10.31 where it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And when the living God heard his people's partying and saw their sin, he burned with righteous fury. He broke out among the people and punished them, threatening to abandon them and to start over by creating a new nation from out of Moses. It's only when Moses intervened and pled before God as the covenant mediator that God's anger abated. God wouldn't abandon Israel. He would still bring them to the promised land. We read about this in Exodus 33 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and your people who you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham. So was everything back to normal? No. In fact, something had changed drastically. If we look at verse 2 and 3, God says, I will send an angel before you. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Because of Israel's disobedience, God was going to withdraw his presence from among them and send an angel to lead them instead. At first glance, this may seem just like a minor change in plans for the Exodus sojourn. But I'd argue that this decision and the verses following in Exodus 33 and 34 are some of the most fascinating and pivotal in the whole book of Exodus. You see, when God met Moses at the burning bush, he promised he would bring Israel to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land he had promised to Abraham. Now, did God literally mean 
the promised land would be flowing with milk and honey? No, it was a picture of extraordinary fertility, of bounty, of wealth and comfort that stood waiting for Israel. Can you imagine how tantalizing such a promise would have been for Israel? This nation of slaves who until very recently had lived under a very oppressive taskmaster for 400 years? No, this was a 400-year dream come true. But when Moses heard about the Lord's withdrawal from the people, it's clear that Moses wasn't interested in health and wealth. Look at his response in verse 15. To Moses and to the repentant people of Israel, the promised land, that broad land flowing with milk and honey, meant nothing without the special presence of God. Moses said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, we want you, Lord. If we can't have your presence, your favor, and your fellowship, then everything else in this life is insignificant and meaningless. Even a substitute angel, or Canaan, or a promised land of rest and prosperity are nothing in comparison to the presence and favor of our God. Don't bring us up from here, Moses said. Moses would rather die in the wilderness with the presence and favor of God than go into Canaan without it. That's how highly he valued God's special presence. He dreaded the very thought of going forward without it. It would be like hell, eternally existing without the intimate fellowship and love of God. Can you say the same for your own circumstances today? In one of the communications from Pathway Council, it was acknowledged that we would be growing our identity through time. An astute statement. But understand this, our community identity will be the sum of our individual identities. Who we are, who we look like, will depend on who we are as individuals. I know that we all have hopes and dreams, but are they more important to us than the presence of God? Are we more interested in attaining material and financial security in this life than we are seeking the face of God and enjoying Him for eternity? Are we more interested in having the latest and greatest of everything or constantly aspiring to that next vacation? Think back to last week's sermon with Reverend Vischer. He implored us to be distinct from the world and not just softening our Christian values to blend into the world. Because if we seek to blend in, that's the way of death, not life. Our priorities are all wrong. Think of Christ's word in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what personal identity are you taking into this church community? Your identity will have a direct impact on how we function as a congregation. There are many things we may or may not need as individuals and as a congregation. 
But without a doubt, the one thing we need beyond a doubt, beyond everything else, is the presence of God. We must have the presence of God for his people's sake, for this church's sake, for without him we can do nothing. True life and blessing can only be found in the presence of an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In faith, Moses knew this, and so did the psalmist. Why do you think the psalms talk often about this? Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As Christians, the presence of God is both the journey and the destination. The other things promised, like eternal life, are almost like, well, for lack of a better term, fringe benefits. They're amazing, but not the primary source of joy. Think back to what we read in Revelations 21. What did you find remarkable about this chapter? Probably all sorts of things. But did you notice what came first? John's vision about the new heaven and the new earth? Not the absence of tears and pain. That will come, of course. But first comes the best part, the eternal presence of God. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It's the presence of God in our lives now already that gives us true and everlasting joy. Why do you think it's possible for Christians to experience joy even in the middle of terrible suffering? Like Corey ten Boom wrote, you can never know that Christ is all that you need until Christ is all that you have. We don't need to wait until we die to experience this joy. We can go back to last week's sermon, and in, in many ways, this week is an echo of last week's message where Reverend Vischer laid out the building blocks for Pathway Christian Church. As a new community, we need to be rooted in God, living for God, and chosen, chosen by God. Our God is Emmanuel, God with us. We need to be rooted in His life, active in his service as we are chosen in his love. But there's one more aspect of God's presence I'd like to mention in closing. God's presence gives purpose and identity and power. That's something to keep in mind as we live out our faith, as we reach out to the communities around us. This is why Moses added in verse 16, how will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? Again, as a congregation, 
There are many things we may or may not need, but without a doubt, the one thing we need beyond everything else is the presence of God. We must have the presence of God because without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we are not distinct from any other person on the face of the earth. It's precisely this fact that makes God's response to Moses such a pivotal, a pivotal moment in the book of Exodus. In his grace, God listens to Moses as he intercedes on behalf of the Israelites. Even after they have sinned, God didn't abandon his people, but he continued to dwell among them. What a comfort that must have been for the people of Israel. But here's the thing. We actually have a far greater promise, an even greater mediator than Moses was. We have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Shortly before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May we always believe this, trust in this, and prayerfully depend on Christ's Spirit to help us proclaim His great name throughout the earth. As Psalm 73 says, I am continually with you. You hold my hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Emmanuel, God with us. What other religion can claim this? What other God is real? What other God lives among his people? Thank you, merciful God, that you are our God. Thank you, merciful God, that you have given us your Son, that you have given us your Holy Spirit, and indeed you live among us. Lord, we're about to head into a new week. We are awful like, awful like the Israelites. They left Moses go up on the mountain, and they turned away quite quickly. That can be our tendency as well as we get further from Sundays, further away from hearing your message. We often forget to climb back into our everyday lives and we pray that it will be different. We pray that you will send your Holy Spirit so that your presence will be among us this week in all that we say and do. Wherever we go to work, whatever our activities may be, Whatever conversations we have, may your presence guide us and be our comfort. Amen.